book of Ephesians and about the church. And basically what I want to look at is what does the book of Ephesians teach us about living for the glory of God? It's a short book. It's only six chapters. If, you'd, if you would read one chapter a day and skip one day, you could read through the book once a week this whole month. That would mean by the time we get to the end of January, you'd have read it four times. Uh, and it would help you to understand what Paul is talking about as he, as he talks about this. Basically, the book of Ephesians can be divided into two parts. Part one is verses one, I mean chapters one through three, which is the church in the mind of God. What did God have in mind when he created the church and verses I mean chapters 4 5 and 6 are the church in the world what did he expect us to be in the world what did he expect us to be taking what he created in his mind what he had in his mind when he made us what did he expect us to be in the world and he's talking about where God's people stand in relationship to the glory of God so today I want us to talk about the glory of God in the church. That's what we're going to, to look at real quick. Next week, we're going to talk about the glory of God in His people. How we are the glory of God. You and I. And then the glory of God in His work and the glory of God in His world. And that we're going to look at Ephesians in those uh, categories. And it ought to bring some questions to mind. Uh, I talk about the church. I don't know what you think of when you hear the word church, uh, but I guess one of the things that it ought to bring to mind is what do I think of when I think of church? And then beyond that, what does Jesus think of when he thinks of church? What did God have in mind when he thought up the church? Uh, should what Jesus thinks of the church have any impact on what I think of the church? Is there anything in there that would say why I should go to church or not go to church? Why I should support the church or, or not support the church? You know, years ago, uh, back in the 90s, I think is when it was, there was a, a television commercial that Oldsmobile put out. And I don't know if you, if you remember it, but it was um, the, basically the theme was, this is not your father's Oldsmobile. You remember that? And it tried to, tried to convince uh, people younger than us that Oldsmobile was a, still a good choice for a car. Uh, that uh, it was a car that was redone for the 21st century. And so you could still feel young and in charge and empowered when you bought an Oldsmobile. You know? That was the whole idea of, of the commercials. It didn't work. Oldsmobile died. You know, you can't buy an Oldsmobile anymore. And that makes me a little sad. Jennifer and I went on our first date in an Oldsmobile. Uh, it wasn't mine. It was my mom's. You know, uh, we couldn't afford a Oldsmobile for the first 10 years we were married. And then by the time we could, they weren't anymore. You know, so we never had one. Um, but Oldsmobile simply couldn't keep up with the times. People don't want Oldsmobiles anymore. <clears throat> there was a, 
an article came out on Facebook not long ago about 10 popular restaurant chains that aren't anymore. Anybody see that? had a list of, of 10 restaurant chains that uh, don't exist anymore. I, I, I looked down there, and uh, one of them was a burger chain named Burger Chef. Does anybody remember Burger Chef? They, they had two of them in Albuquerque because I worked for one when I was in college. They had one in Fort Worth when we were going to, to seminary there. Uh, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't exist anymore. And there's a whole list of them there that did uh, Bonanza Steakhouse. Do you all remember Bonanza? Ponderosa Steakhouses, that was the same company. Do you know that you can't go there anymore? They, they don't have them anymore. There was a place in Salt Lake that Jennifer and I used to eat quite a bit. It was called Tony Roma's. No Tony Roma's anymore. Their ribs weren't good enough. You know, they, 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 uh, they, they didn't make it. Restaurant chains that were unable to make the transition into the 21st century. I used to go to a store uh, in Salt Lake City. It started in Albuquerque, and then when we moved to Salt Lake City, it was called Comp USA. Anybody ever heard of Comp USA? What a great store that was. I mean, you could go in and you could see computers of all shapes and sizes. Uh, they even had an apple section back there. You could go back and look at the apples. Uh, the apple computers, not fruit. The, uh, they had uh, all the computer parts, all the software. They had a whole section of software. You could spend a whole day just walking down there looking at all the software that you couldn't afford to buy. You know, this really, really, really cool stuff. It doesn't exist anymore. You know why? Because people started buying their computers and their computer supplies and their software differently than they do now. You know, for the last five years, I haven't bought computer software that was physical. If you buy computer software now, you just download it. You just get it off the, uh, you have to pay extra to get it on a, on a CD. Uh, it went bankrupt. And as our culture has changed, we've moved on from the way we used to do things. There was a cartoon in the paper this, this weekend. Uh, I, told, I cut it out for Jennifer, told her to give it to the lady that collects the money for doing our road plowing. But this guy's sitting at a table, and he's got his checkbook out, and he's writing checks, and there's a whole bunch of wadded-up checks there. And his wife comes by and says, what, what's with all the wadded-up checks? And he says, I can't remember to write the right date. He says, I keep writing 2017 instead of 2018. And he wives them up and throws them up. And she says, wow, I can't believe it. And he says, what? You can't believe that I can't remember the date? And he sa she says, no, I can't believe that it's 2018 and you're still paying the bills with a check. <laughs> you know, we don't do that anymore. Maybe you do, but you won't for long. You know, banks are quitting doing paper checks. Um, when we moved here, 2012, when we moved here in 2012, we started looking for a bank. We looked for a bank. We didn't go to Dolores Bank or Mancus Bank or Cortez Bank because, you know why? 
they didn't do online checking. You could you could do you could check your balances and stuff online, but you couldn't write your checks and get your bills and do all that online. You had to do it with checks, or you had to pay them. I think the going fee was ten dollars a month for them to send your bills. And so we chose the bank we chose based on the fact that they didn't do paper checks. You know, I'm tired of writing checks, putting them in an envelope, putting my return address on them, adding a 49-cent stamp and taking them to the mailbox. It's a whole lot easier to click on the thing that says, pay that bill. It wasn't so easy to teach his wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was difficult to t teach her that. But I suspect in another few years, paper checks will just be, you know, they, they won't be anymore. What will a bank do that relies on paper checks? You know, there's, there's not anymore. You know, they'll, they'll go the way of the Oldsmobile and Burger Chef. They won't exist. So that brings me to this question. What about the church? Specifically, what about our church? You know, we, we've made it this far. We've made it almost to the end of the second decade of the third millennium. How long can we make it? How long can... What are we worth? It's, it's, a, it's a good question, and it's something we need to think about, but that's not what I want to talk about today. What I want to talk about today is this question. Would we miss it if it was gone? Would we miss it if it was gone? A lot of people are calling this the post-church society. They think that we're better off without church. They think we're better off if we spend our Sundays doing something else. What, what is the church? What, what is it about? Why should it be important? I want, you to ask, I want you to ask yourself this question. Is it important for me to be here? Is it important for me to support the church? Um, and of course, I'm talking to people who are here, so probably I'll, I'm, I'm going to get this, the right answer because I'm not talking about the people. I'm not talking to the folks who aren't here. They don't listen to me anymore. And the church is not a favorite topic for a lot of folks. They've had a bad experience in church, or they don't like the obligations that are involved in a church, or they have a distorted view of the church. But folks, I don't apologize for supporting the church. And encouraging others to support the church. And encouraging others to be a part of the church. Because I believe in the church. Not just the church. Triumphant. Militant. Universal. That transcends geography. Denominations. Time and space. I believe in that church too. But I also believe in the local body of believers. That the New Testament calls the church. And, you know, I believe in it for personal reasons. I believe in it, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's had a big impact in my life. It was in a church that I heard somebody preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and tell me about my sin and invite me to salvation. And it was in that same church that... Um, I was baptized last week or the week before that just in the last month or so the, uh, I read in the Baptist New Mexican 
where the wife of the pastor who baptized me passed away. She was almost 100. Um, I still remember that pastor. Uh, it was a church that I learned about God. I learned about doctrine. It nurtured me, helped me grow as a Christian. It was in a church that Jennifer and I celebrated our marriage. There's also social reasons to believe in the church. It gives greater cohesiveness to people than any other institution in culture and society. With all of its faults and weaknesses, the church stands in society as the one institution that points to something greater than itself. You know, you don't you you never hear people in a church an awful lot talk about how great the church is. If if we talk about how great the church is, we've missed it. The church points to something beyond ourselves and we point to Jesus Christ and talk about how great Jesus Christ is. That that's that's the idea. But besides all of that, I believe in the church because I believe in the Bible. I believe what the Bible says. I believe what the Bible says on every single issue there is, including the church. And the church is biblically mandated. There will never be a substitute for the church. The Greek word for church in the New Testament is the word ekklesia. And it means the people who are called out. God has called us out from the world. He has called us out to be a special people. That we're, It's used 113 times in the New Testament. And 93 of those times, it refers to a local congregational church. Like it could say, the Dolores Southern Baptist Church. That's what it's talking about. A local group of people like us that, that, that is the church. Now, I'm not saying that it says Southern Baptist in the Bible. Don't misunderstand me. I'm saying what it says is it's talking about a local group of people that meet together to worship and praise and give and serve. Now, all that was introduction. Here's what I want you to know. Here's what the book of Ephesians say about the church. Chapters 1 through 3 in the mind of God. Chapters 4 through 6 in the world. What the church is to look like. Number 1. The church is the body of Christ. In chapter 1 verse 22 Paul says this. And God placed all things under his feet. He's talking about Jesus. God placed all things under the feet of Jesus. And appointed him to be head over everything for the church. So Jesus is the head of the church. He is head over everything for the church. And then it says, which is his body? The church is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The church is the body of Christ. You know, Jesus has died. He's resurrected. He's, he's gone into heaven. He sent his Holy Spirit. To, to be with us and comfort us and strengthen us and empower us. But we are Jesus on the earth today. There's a, there's a story, a sermon illustration story 
about uh, a statue of Jesus that doesn't have any hands. Uh, and this group of people, whoever it is, depending on the story that you're looking at, is putting this statue of Jesus back together, putting it back on his pedestal, but they couldn't find the hands. They couldn't find the hands to, to finish the statue. And so uh, a sculpture, an artist comes along and, and uh, says that he can remake the hands and rebuild the, rebuild the uh, statue with the hands. And the church got to thinking about it, and they finally said that, no, we won't do that. Instead, they put up a plaque that says, Jesus has no hands but ours. Now, depending on where you read the story, it happened in World War II in a church in Germany or a church in France or a church in England, or uh, it happened in San Diego where a vandal damaged the church. You know, there's lots of stories like that where the Jesus ended up with no hands. And it's probably totally, completely apocryphal made up by a preacher one time that wanted you to understand that you are the hands of God. But listen to St. Teresa of Avila. She prayed this one time. Lord Christ, you have no body on earth but ours. No hands but ours, no feet but ours. Ours are the eyes through which your compassion must look out on the world. Ours are the feet by which you may still go about doing good. Ours are the hands with which you bless people now. Bless our minds and bodies that we may be a blessing to others. And that's Paul's message here. We are the body of Christ. Yours are the hands of Christ. Let me see your hands. Those are the hands of Christ in our world. Our feet are the feet of Christ in our world. That's who, that's how the ministry of Christ is carried out in our world. So the first thing Paul says, or the first thing we want to see that Paul says in the book of Ephesians, is that the church is the body of Christ. The second thing he says in chapter 2 is that the church is a part of God's household. It's like, it's like we live in the house with God. Consequently, he says in Ephesians 2.19, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. He's brought us all together. He has brought us together to be a special relation to people. Or special, you know, we, 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 you and I in here, have a special relationship with one another. And, and one of the reasons that we can come to church and that, that uh, we, we like to come to church is because... You know, it's like going to a family reunion every month, every week. You know, we see people we love, people we like, people we don't see as much of as perhaps we would like to. But we get to see them and, and care about them and, and see and know what they're doing. You know, the things that uh, that, that that we keep doing for um, and with uh, Lester's and and uh, Sue's family and Barb's family and and. Uh, you know, we reach out to them and we love them like family. We communicate with them. We, 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 we talk with them. We empathize with them. With one another. You know, what, what, what worries you? What bothers you? What fears? What problems do we have? And, and you know, nobody's perfect. 
you know, all of us ought to say that. Nobody's perfect. And, 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 and you don't say, nobody's perfect but me. You know, especially me. Nobody's perfect, especially me. You know, we're, we're not. But we still care about each other. We still love one another. We still, uh, you know, we, we realize that, that, we, um, that we have failings. And so hopefully we can listen to one another in a non-judgmental manner. Uh, we can respond to one another with, with a caring gift. You, you realize how, you know, and I, and I didn't realize this for a long time, but how, how important it is just to tell somebody, I'm thinking of you. And you think, you know, people are making fun of that and say, well, yeah, thinking for him, praying for him, what good does that do? Well, just work at it a little bit, and you'll begin to see what good that does. Tell people you're thinking about them, caring about them. And when, you, and when you have relationships like that, and this happens in the church, when you have relationships like that, th- there are a couple of things that will happen. I'll promise you. Number one, you're going to get your feelings hurt. It's going to happen. When you live in close relationships with other people, I'm going to hurt your feelings somehow. And I'm not talking about what I say from here. I'm going to miss something that, that you needed me to do. And the other thing that's going to happen is you won't always get your way. You know, I just live with one person these days. And I don't get my way half the time. You know, and she doesn't get her way half the time. You have to make, uh, you, you have to make adjustments. Um, when when there were five of us, I almost never got my way. You know, the uh, and I got my feelings hurt. I have a I have a son who doesn't like the way I do things. Well, I could just get mad and cut him out, but I don't do that. I love him and and he loves me back, and we get along. But uh, we, we don't agree. And that's the way a church ought to be. We, we don't always get our way. Sometimes we get our feelings hurt. But we don't quit. Why? Because we're committed to one another. And we're committed to the church. And we're committed to God's way. And we're committed to being the people of God that He intended for us to be. And so we're, we're members of God's household. The third thing I want to say, the, the idea is in Ephesians, but the scripture's in Philippians. Is it okay if I cheat and, and go over to Philippians for one, one point, and then we'll come back to Ephesians? In Philippians 3.20, he says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, as we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's really a cool picture of the church. We're, we're a colony of heaven on earth. We, we've established a beachhead on earth as a colony of heaven. There's an old song that says, um, this, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I don't feel at home 
in this world anymore. When I was a boy in, in church, we had, a, we had an organization called Royal Ambassadors, and uh, our theme song was, was what started out like this. I am a stranger here within a foreign land. My home is far away upon a golden strand. I am an ambassador for the king. You know, that's the picture that the New Testament uh, presents of the church. We are a colony of heaven on earth. In the mind of God, we belong with him. But right now, we're still serving him here as part of his colony on earth. Do you see that picture? Yeah, do you understand? It? You know, it's a beautiful picture of who we are as the church. And then, going back to, to Ephesians, another thing about the church is that's where the glory of God is stored. Listen to what Paul says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Glory is in the church. We do things for God's glory. It's God's glory. It's in the church. The glory doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. It's just that it, it is dwelled in here. here. Here's where it is. You know, there are a lot of folks who think they don't need church. There are a lot of people, and you'll run into them, who claim to be Christians, who claim to love the Lord, but they say, I don't need the church. I, I love God. I believe in Jesus, but I don't like the church. But God says his glory is in the church. That's where God's glory is. You want to you experience God's glory? It's in the church. It's, it, it, it's in, it's in the, the, the community of people who are his colony on earth. Let me give you a couple of illustrations of that in the New Testament. When Saul of Tarsus was persecuting Christians... Before uh, he was converted, he was on his way to Damascus and he was going there to haul into prison everyone who claimed the name of Jesus, everyone who claimed to be a Christian. And we hear people who say, uh, you know, I, I don't care for the church. I don't care for the church. But as Saul was on his way, he was, he was accosted I guess by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord appeared to him and Saul fell at his feet and said, Lord, what would you have me do? Now, Jesus said to him, go into the city and there it shall be told thee what thou must do. He sent him to the church. And the church in Damascus gave Paul instructions about what he was to do. So, Here's the question that I have. Why didn't Jesus just tell him what to do? Why didn't Jesus say, okay, Paul, here, or Saul, here's what I want you to do. I want you to change your name to Paul. I want you to study and I want you to become a, I want you to become a missionary. Why didn't Jesus just tell him? Why did he send him? He, you know, he, he's standing there before him. He's face to face. Why didn't he just tell him what to do? 
Can I give you a solution? Because the glory of God is in the church. He sent him to the church. And the church gave him guidance. The church told him what to do. Another instance is found in Acts 10. Uh, Cornelius and his family. Cornelius is a Gentile. And uh, they're praying. They're, they're asking for, what they're asking for is someone to come and tell them the words about Jesus. And in the midst of their congregation, as they're praying, this angel shows up. And here's what he says, essentially. Your prayers are heard. Your alms are seen. In other words, this angel says, you know, in heaven, they hear what you're praying. They hear what you're asking for. Send down to Joppa for one Simon, who will come and tell you the words whereby you and your house may be saved. Okay, so here's my question. It's the same question. Why didn't the angel just tell him how to be saved? Why didn't the angel just say, okay, now here's what you do to be saved. He says, no, you need to send for Simon, who was Simon Peter, who was one of the disciples, part of the church. He said, you need to send for him and have him come and tell you how to be saved. Why? Folks, because the glory of God is in the church. That's where it is. Not only is the church the body of Christ and members of God's household, it's a colony of heaven on earth. It's a vessel that contains His glory. But there's one more reason that Paul gives in Ephesians, and that is this. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. In chapter 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And uh, goes on, he, makes, he makes a lot of stuff in that whole passage from about uh, 523 to, to the end of the chapter where he talks about the relationship between Christ and the church and how Christ is, I mean, the church is the, the bride of Christ. And, and what, he, what he is saying is that the church was born in the sobs and the cries and the wounds and the sufferings and the blood and the death of Christ. When that Roman soldier, he says, stabbed the Christ on the cross in the side and the blood came pouring out of his side, the church was born out of the side of the crucified Christ. Now, I want, I want you to see the picture that Paul points here. Because he points us back to Genesis chapter 2. He even quotes Genesis chapter 2. Uh, and and so, so Paul is putting Ephesians 5 and Genesis 2 together. And God took Eve, the bride of Adam, out of the side of Adam. Now your Bible says that he took a rib and made a woman for him the the word doesn't say rib can I just can I just tell you that just just blunt it's the only place in the bible where that word is translated rib uh, it means the side 
other places it talks about it being uh, the the side of the tabernacle or the side of the ark. So so basically what the Bible says, the trans, translation says, is that God took out of the side of Adam and created Eve and brought her to Adam. And then he says in Ephesians 5, and he took the church out of the side of Christ. We're the body. I mean, we're the bride of Christ. And Paul uses the creation of Eve out of the side of Adam as the imagery for the creation of the church. As God took Eve out of the side of Adam from near his heart, so God took the the church out of the side of the Lord. We're born in the sobs and the sacrifice and the crucifixion and the death. We're taken out of the scar in his side. Paul says we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Just like Adam said about Eve, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, He's saying that you and I are bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. We are the bride of Christ in the world. And then he says we're baptized into the body of Christ. You know what? You know what a what a great pictures that the book of Ephesians paints about the church. And you know that that's why we can be militant about the church that's why we can be excited about the church that's why we can be supportive of the church because of the great pictures that God point paints of the church Chuck Swindoll tells a story about a guy from the south Paul Kahn he lived in Atlanta and he was just looking through the yellow pages one time and looking for a place to eat and he came across a uh, restaurant called the Church of God Grill. And just the name kind of aroused his curiosity, so he called them. And the man answered with a cheery, Hello, Church of God Grill. And uh, this guy, Paul, says, uh, The Church of God Grill, that is such an unusual name. How did you get that name? And here's what he said. He says, Well, we had a little mission down here. And we started selling chicken dinners after church on Sunday to help pay the bills. People really liked the chicken. And we did a great business. And so eventually we cut back on the church services and just sold chicken. And eventually, he said, we just closed the church down and kept on serving chicken dinners. But we kept the name the Church of God Grill. You know, I don't know if that's a true story or not. You know, you can't ever trust anything Chuck Swindoll says. <laughs> it could be or not. But it, it, it's, a, it, it's a story that, that points to a truth. And that is this. Are we the body of Christ? Are we part of his household? Are we a colony of heaven here upon the earth? Are we the reservoir of God's glory? The the bride of Christ, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh? Are we Jesus Christ here in our community? Or would we be better off selling chicken dinners? What do you think? What is the church worth? Do you see the importance that God places on the church? We're important. It's important for God 
that, that we're here. And that's the main reason that I'm sold on the local church. It answers this question. Does God want me to be in church? Yeah, He does. He does. He wants you here. And all those folks that are out there that aren't here, He wants them here too. Because this is where His glory is. This is where His gospel is. This is where people reach out to one another. This is where you can be loved. This is where you can be cared for. This is where even when you're not perfect, people will still like you and accept you. Well, is this church worthy of my support? I know you guys already think so because you're here. But we ought to be proud of the fact that we support the church. Why should I be in church? Folks, because that's where you find God's glory. That's where it's at. One of the one of the, the biggest regrets in my life when I was a seminary student the first time in, in Fort Worth every day Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday every day at 10 o'clock they had chapel and uh, we had a list they, they gave us a list on Tuesday of who the speakers were going to be in chapel and uh, I'd look through them and I'd decide who I wanted to go listen to and who I didn't and the ones I didn't I went over to the student center and sat around with a bunch of guys and drank coffee and later on after I got out of seminary I realized the number of people I missed who had the glory of God in their words and I missed them because in my immaturity I looked at their names and it wasn't a name I recognized and if I had it all to do over again, I would never miss a chapel service. Because you never know when the glory of God's going to show up. That's not in my sermon. That was free. <laughs> Does Jesus love the church? Yep. Well, so should you. Is the church important? Yes, it is. James Kraft was the founder of the Kraft Food Corporation. And here's what he said. I had rather be a layman in the North Shore Baptist Church in Chicago than to be the head of the greatest corporation in America. My greatest job is serving Jesus Christ. And folks, that's done in and through the church. So can you make these statements? I belong to Jesus Christ. I belong to Him. He's my Savior. I'm part of His bride. As best I can be, I'm obedient to Him done what he asked me I've been baptized as he asked me to be baptized that was his first command to his church I support his presence on earth 
I am his body, his bride, part of his household. The glory of God resides here. I am committed to his purpose. I am resolved that I will get to know Jesus Christ better in 2018. Let's pray together. Father, our prayer this morning in Jesus' name is that we will recognize the importance of what we do here on Sunday and how we live on Monday through Saturday. Father, help us to be the church. The church triumphant. But the church local. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. Thanks.